Amen. Well, it's very good to be with you this morning. Uh, we bring greetings from Florida Baptist Church in Durango, Colorado, nestled right there in the heart of La Plata County. And uh, our people are very fond of you. Uh, many stories abound on our summer trip, your time with us this summer. And so we're grateful. Uh, I am grateful. My family is grateful for Rocky Point Baptist Church. We truly could not be there doing what we're doing without uh, this congregation. It's a tremendous privilege to be with you here this morning for a number of things. The question comes, how, how are things in Colorado? Well, it's beautiful, okay? I will boast just for a moment. It is beautiful there. Uh, in reality, uh, spiritual warfare is very real, and God is good and very great. Uh, we have sincerely tasted uh, the depths of despair in a few short months, and we have experienced the Mount of Transfiguration. It has been quite a ride. It's been very good. So this morning, it is good to be with you, first for an ordination, and then as many of you know, Scott's uh, daughter Amy and Thomas will marry next Sunday. They're with us here this morning. I get to be a part of that as well. Scott is trying to put all kinds of things in a short week. And uh, pray, pray for he and Lura. Uh, as a church, it's a privilege. If you don't know that, it's a privilege to be able to ordain one of your own as an elder. There are many, so many people throughout the history of the church that have never had the privilege of being a part of something like this. Um, it, is, it is the order that God put in place for his bride, the church. Uh, he gave two offices to the church, the deacon and the elder, and it is an immense responsibility and privilege to be able to ordain one of your very own. For me, this is the very first ordination of a non-staff elder that I've participated in, no doubt have had the opportunity to preach in, so quite, quite a privilege for me. It would be very easy for me this morning to stay within the framework of what I think this church knows very well, which is 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. As Paul expresses the qualifications and the job description of an elder, but I'm not going to do that this morning. I sent Jeff my text. Um, since the very moment that I knew that I would be here with you, or at least believed I would be here with you when Scott asked and Jeff asked and all of those things, Lord willing, we would make it here. I knew the text that I would preach from. I was fairly certain that I would be in John 1, and the Lord has continued to affirm that. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 1, we'll be there the entirety of the morning. I want you to follow along with me. We'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to read just a few verses. I'll give you a little background, share some personal story about Scott Manley and I, and then I want us to see what John would have us to see, what the Lord would have us to see from these few verses. So John chapter 1, let's begin in verse 35, and I'm going to read down to verse 42. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus, and he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. 
Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What we're told here is very straightforward. Andrew and presumably John, the writer of the book, he, he doesn't identify himself here, but it's presumably John. They've been in the company of John the Baptist. You can read the verses that precede this. So Andrew and John have been with John the Baptist, John the baptizer. And John had pointed out to them Jesus. And he does this multiple times in, the, in chapter 1. And here he points out Jesus again. And so John and Andrew, they follow Jesus. And Jesus asked, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? And Andrew and John respond by asking this question. Where are you staying? It's not an answer to his question, but they want to know, where, where are you staying, Jesus? And Jesus says, you come and, and you'll see. Follow me, you'll see. So we read here, it's very clear that they do. They go and they do see where he is staying. Verse 40 tells us, that one of the two disciples of John was Andrew. And this was Simon Peter's brother. He says that one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. If you notice, Simon Peter had not been identified yet in the passage. They haven't, we haven't been introduced to him. And so John's hearers and his readers would have known of Simon Peter from the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and Luke. And so he goes ahead and he says, it's, it's Simon Peter, it's his brother. Simon Peter was the famous brother, wasn't he? I mean, you, you know a lot about Simon Peter. We don't know a lot about Andrew. And maybe you didn't even know this morning that he was a disciple, but he, he was. It's okay if you didn't know that. Andrew was in the shadow of his famous brother. He, he lived in the shadow. He was the he was the other brother. Now, I don't think he's referred to as that. But in our minds, in my mind, he's the other brother. And you, Andrew was unique in this respect. If you were to look at his life, he wasn't in Jesus' inner circle. He had 12, but he really had three that were close. Andrew was not in this inner circle of Jesus. He wasn't in the room as we look through miracles and things that happened. He wasn't in the room when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. She was sleeping. She was dead. And Jesus raises her and Andrew wasn't there. He didn't get an invitation to the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, it's, he's not recorded in the Gethsemane scene. All of these key places. He's a disciple, but he's in the shadow of Simon Peter. He doesn't get a lot of attention. He doesn't get a lot of face time. For Andrew, you see, if you were to read about his life and... Think 
just for a moment in comparison to his other brother and others. For Andrew, place and precedence and promise were lost in, the, in sight of the privilege of knowing and being known by Christ. He, where he stood in recognition, in, in the circle, paled in comparison to Andrew, to knowing and being known by Christ. The Scott Manley that I know fits this bill very well. It was just a few years ago, my wife and I and my family, we came back to Rocky Point Baptist Church. Uh, Edward had called and, and we began to meet and pray and see what the Lord would do. And I began to meet with the elders here and we began to talk and pray and see what the Lord uh, would do. And we, we came back here to Rocky Point Baptist Church. One of my responsibilities at that time was student ministry and we began to find out what was happening in student ministry. Who's involved? Who's serving? What's happening? The student ministry had just returned from uh, Nashville. I think that's right. I didn't ask him to verify that. But Nashville, Tennessee. I can still see the picture. Uh, the students that were on that. And my wife and I, we began to meet with Scott and Lura and have meals with Scott and Lura. And we would ask people, hey... Do you know these people? They're amazing. Who, who are you talking about? Scott Manley, Laura Manley. No, who are you talking about? They're serving in your student ministry. That's no shame to the church, but I have a point here. I, we begin to ask, like, these are great people. We love them. We're growing to love them. My kids love them. Uh, we, who, I think we know who that is. I think we know where they sit. see, Scott, he, he saw a very real need. And he began to function like an elder. He, he said our students need, our church, not just our students, but our church needs some leadership there. So he, he picks up the word. And he steps in. Insurance guy. I don't really know what he did. Maybe he really worked for the CIA or something. But he picks up the word and steps in. And he begins to lead them. He begins to teach the word. He begins to shepherd them voluntarily with the word. Place and precedence and prominence were the last thing on Scott's mind. What was important to Scott was knowing and being known by Jesus Christ. He, he began functioning as a biblical elder. Immense responsibility to shepherd sheep with the word. When place and precedence and prominence... aren't what others would want it to be. So back to the text. We get three very simple things from Andrew here. 
It really is simple, and I, but I want us to see this together. Beginning in verse 41, you know the scene, we've rehearsed the scene, we have Andrew, and for him, he, he hears the words of John the Baptist, he, he hears him say, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in verse 41, as he interacts with Jesus, he goes to stay with Jesus, the very first thing he does is he goes and finds his brother. Now there's some debate about what is actually meant here in the Greek, and I believe it's just really simple that what he actually did, once he had the privilege of spending time with Jesus, of knowing him personally, he literally goes to find his brother. The very first thing that he did when he rose that next day was to go and find his brother. He went and he found it's really simple, isn't it? I, I saw that characterized in Scott's life as well. When place and prominence and precedence paled in comparison for him to knowing and being known by Christ, he would go and find. There's this man at work. There is this student. There is this person. There is this man. There is this woman. He would go and find the Simon Peter or the brother or sister in his life. We get this example from Andrew here. It's an, an example for us today. Are we going and finding? It's very simple. He, he not only does that, we also see in verse 41, look at what happens. He first found his brother Simon and he says to him, we have found the Messiah. He, he goes and finds his brother and he tells him, the most important thing he could ever tell him. He, he tells him the greatest news that's ever been told. He shares with him the greatest story of all time. There is news that is abounding, isn't there? We have many things to tell people. We can learn lots of things about people. I have learned that in living in Durango, Colorado. Uh, shallow conversation abounds. What brings you here? Don't you love the mountains? I do. And I'd be glad to tell you what brought us here. And I learned something about telling people what brought us there. Initially, my thought was to tell them, right? It's, it's going to be really profound if I tell them that the Lord would bring us here with another family from a home church in Stephenville, Texas, to be a part of revitalizing a church. And then I was convicted about something. That really is my story, but it's not the story. See, what I was doing was I was telling a story and then somehow I was telling them of how God's story was swept up into this. But the reality is, just like, just like Andrew, what people need to hear and what I needed to tell them was God's story, his story of redemption, his story of leaving, leaving perfection. He was in need of nothing, no one or no place. He was in need of, he, he didn't need our love. He didn't need our, our company. He was in perfect harmony with the Trinity. God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He had no need of anything. And yet he steps out of heaven into time for the purpose of redeeming all of creation. And so when I would tell, begin from that point forward, began to tell my story like Andrew here, 
to tell them the story of God redeeming the world through his son Christ, leaving his Holy Spirit as a guarantee or a deposit for us that he would one day return. And then tell them how I got swept up into that story. So the the little piece of the story is me and the big story is the story of God. And that's what we see from Andrew here. He goes to find his brother and he says, we have found the Messiah. We found the Christ. Do you, Simon Peter, of all the things that your brother could tell you, I'm telling you the most important thing. We have found the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he heard John the Baptist say. That's who Andrew and John wanted to follow. And that's who he went to tell his brother Peter about. So he found him and he says, Hey, Peter, we found the Messiah. We know from reading the remainder of the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament that there was no way that they could fully comprehend what that meant. There was no possible way that side of the crucifixion and resurrection that they could fully comprehend. It wasn't until after the crucifixion and after the resurrection of Jesus that they fully comprehended this. But Andrew, Andrew here that we find in John 1, in the secrecy of the place where he and John met with Jesus. I mean, we don't know exactly, but they meet with Jesus in the secrecy of that place with John. They met with Jesus And Andrew believed what he heard John the Baptist say. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew believed that. Not just intellectually. There is a way for you today. There is a way for me. There is a way for Andrew even to intellectually believe that. But Andrew believed this in a way that he was willing to go and tell his brother. His more dominant brother, by the way. He was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the Christ. He didn't grasp all that that meant. But the balance of John's gospel, if you read or have read through John's gospel, the balance of this was written so that we might believe. We hear things like this in John chapter 20, verse 31. He writes, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Some 98 times John writes that in his gospel, that you would believe. I wonder for you. I wonder for this church. You you see, when Scott takes up that gospel in whatever context, right? He's, He's now retired and he's in the school And he's on the college campus. He's with college students. He's teaching Bible study. He'll be an elder here. He'll be preaching at some point, I hope. He'll be teaching whatever context it is. When when Scott takes up this gospel, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he will be declaring this very same thing that Andrew's declaring and that John declares that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I wonder for this church, I wonder for you, really, are you, are you like Andrew? Are you going to find? You know, you are the means in which God uses to tell people about his son Christ. I mean, he could do whatever he wanted. He's not going to. You've read the Bible. He uses people, young and old, all over the world, 
to declare that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. So Andrew goes and finds, are you going and finding? And when you find your neighbor, let's just bring it, let's don't make it ambiguous for us today. Let's bring it really close. Your next door neighbor, your across the street neighbor, your neighbor that lives two pastures over, right? Back in the country. I love it. When you go and find, what is it that you're telling them? Of all the things that we could say, right? There are so many things that we can talk about. Things that have substance even. Things that really matter. But of all the things that Andrew would tell his brother, Andrew says to Peter, Peter, we found the Messiah. We, he, this, this one, this, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world and I do believe, I've seen Scott Manley do this faithfully. I, you know that as well as I do. We've seen him do this faithfully. But it's not only for an elder to do, right? We are to do the work of an evangelist. That's a qualification of an elder, by the way. We are to do the work of an evangelist. But so are God's people. This is, this is not a model and a pattern for only one. This isn't isolated to Andrew. I do see this as a model for us. To declare what Paul refers to as the mystery of godliness. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3. He says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. These things that Paul is writing about here are ours to know in a way that Andrew didn't. We live, you know this, we live this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is ascended to the Father. He is at his right hand. Christians possess the Holy Spirit. We're waiting for him to return for his bride. But until then, right, we should be found faithful. The Bible would, the New Testament particularly, would have us to declare and com- to demand us to proclaim these things. To make proclamation of and, and we to pro- proclaim these things in the world that we live in. And for you, for most of you, there are some visiting here. For most of you, that is Stephenville, Texas. And I realize that it's the buckle of the Bible belt and that everyone you know is a Christian. But that's not really true. Right? For me, for my family, the context is Durango, Colorado in La Plata County. And uh, the same gospel is applicable there as it is here. The same, we have the same problem that we have in Texas. Lostness is lostness wherever you go. There's no varying degree of it. You're lost or you're not. And the gospel here and what we're seeing from Andrew and what I am prayerfully Uh, want you to see in Scott as a faithful elder is one that will go and find and tell, right? But that's not all we see here in Andrew. We see him finding his brother. We see him telling his brother that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. This is the Jesus that we find revealed in scripture. We, We hear clarified in the epistles and we see anticipated in the book of Revelation and Andrew finds his brother. He tells his brother and he also brings his brother to Jesus. 
Right? He, we see that here in the text. We don't have to imagine it. He finds him. He tells him. And verse 40, 42 tells us he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus, this is all we hear about Andrew at this point. I love it. He brings his brother Simon to Jesus. The Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And he meets, he meets him. And Jesus says, he looks at and he says, you're Simon. The son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, rock. It's no small thing. It's no small thing as we look at the life of Andrew. There's, we, we, know, we know very little, comparatively speaking. But every time we see him throughout the Gospels, he's described as either bringing someone or referring someone to Jesus. We know very little about him. But isn't that one of the most profound things that we can know about someone? What we do know about Andrew is that he was going and finding and referring and telling those about Jesus Christ. Isn't it the greatest service that we could ever do for our neighbor? What's the greatest love that you could show or give to your neighbor? Isn't it this, right? Saying, I've met the master. <laughs> I've met the master. Come, I want you to meet him. I want you to know him. I want him to know you. And this is what Andrew did here. Here's, here's a question for you. Who had greater impact on the kingdom? Peter or Andrew? Who's to say who had more impact, right? I mean, we base everything on merit. Place precedence and prominence means something for us it means something in the church world sadly enough but they mean something and it'd be easy to say well peter look at all that happened he upon you peter i will build my church but who's to say who had more impact we we tend to evaluate on this place and precedence and prominence but the gospel call is always the call to be found faithful that is the call of the gospel if you are found in christ the gospel call on your life is to be found faithful, to go and find, to go and tell, and to bring, bring. There's a very famous story about a pastor named Charles Spurgeon. He was a famous 19th century Reformed Baptist pastor, and the story of his conversion goes that he... He was in the middle of walking down the road and a snowstorm drove him into this primitive Methodist church. And in that church there was a, a volunteer layman that was standing in the pulpit to preach that night. Whether the pastor of the church could make it or not, I don't know that piece of the story. But Spurgeon at 15 years of age walks in and he, he locks eyes, this pastor... This layman locks eyes with Spurgeon and he's preaching, he's reading from Isaiah 45, 22. And he says, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no one else. In, per, in Spurgeon's autobiography, he records his reaction this way. So bear with me for a moment. Listen to what Spurgeon writes. He said, he had not much to say, thank God. For that compelled me to him, keep on repeating his text, and there was nothing needed by me at any rate except this text. 
Then stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery and he said, that young man there looks very miserable. And he shouted, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, look, look young man, look now. Then I had this vision, not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what a Savior Christ was. Now I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe than I also understood what it was I what it was to believe, and I did believe in one moment. And as the snow fell on my road from the little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told of the pardon I had found. For I was white as the driven snow through the grace of God. I love, I love that story. Spurgeon pastored for 38 years in what is now known as the Metropolitan Tabernacle. His sermons after he would preach were immediately translated into multiple languages, 12, 13, 14 languages, and were distributed in print. We didn't have podcasts or the internet in those days, you know that. And so they would be transcribed and they would be translated into different languages and distributed. One of the most famous influential preachers that we likely will ever know but we, do we know the name of the man that was preaching the night he was converted? We don't. You see, I think for that man, I don't know the man, don't know his name, but I think for that man, place and prominence and precedence paled in comparison to knowing and being known by Christ. And where the snowstorm would have kept the pastor from being there that night, I, I presume that's what happened. He, picked up God's word, climbed the steps, stood behind the pulpit, and faithfully proclaimed God's word. And that night, by God's grace and God's election, Charles Spurgeon came to faith in Christ. You see, that's the comforting thing for me is that we, like Andrew, can believe, right? You're hearing today, you're, you are hearing today, and some likely, if they're recording, will hear about this Christ that takes away the sin of the world, that John the Baptist and John and Andrew and so many that have gone before us saw and believed and knew was the Messiah, and then Andrew heeded the gospel call, not, not fully grasping what it meant to know Christ, right? And he heeds the gospel call, and he goes and finds, he goes and tells, and he brings his brother of all the places and all the things he could do with his brother. He tells him the greatest story that's ever been told and brings him to the master, right, the Savior. And we see that. We see that in stories in history, I. I pray that you see that in the life of your elders here. I, I want you to see that in the life of Scott Manley. I know him to be that man. If you don't know him, you need to know him. Show up at his house, he'll feed you. I guarantee it. I want him to be that man. But I want for this church, I, this, isn't just, this isn't just an ordination service where you hear uh, the qualifications and the responsibilities of an elder, and you get to maybe, whew, I got by that one today, and that was for Scott and his family. No, this is the gospel call to you if you are a Christian, if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to say, 
to answer the question, are you going and finding? It's a really easy question. No one else can answer that for you. You don't need a doctor. You don't need someone with a degree to figure out that for you. It's a simple question. Are you going and finding? And when you go and find, right, the person that does not know him. I'm not talking about someone from another church. I'm not talking about someone that, no, I'm saying someone that is in need of knowing the master, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. When you find them, what is it that you would tell them? I get it. Listen, you, you don't meet a stranger, right, and open and turn or burn, testify or chicken fry, right? We're not doing that kind of thing. But are you getting to the most critical news of all time? Are you saying to them, I found the master. I, I have met the Messiah, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. I want you to know him. And you're out of your mind. I know Are you bringing them to Christ? I, I think that looks... It doesn't mean only bringing them to church. If this church is faithfully proclaiming, praying the word, singing the word, preaching the word, inviting someone to church is an evangelistic opportunity. But maybe you need to sit down and tell with them, right, what you first heard. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit say to you, Right, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and you remember believing on Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to tell them that story, the story of God and how he swept you up in it. As a church, it's really simple here. In a world, in a, in a town, it's no different wherever you live. I really thought it would be very, very different. It is different in some ways, but at the end of the day, there are lost people in a broken world, in need of Christ and his redemption. In a world that says that place, prominence, and precedence matter, I want to encourage you this morning. Just be faithful. Simply be faithful. Go and find. Go and tell. Go and bring. Even if you live in the shadow of the older brother, Simon Peter. Because according to the scriptures, place and prominence and precedence are not measured like the world measures them. They're measured vastly different. And I want you to see that. I want you to hear that. So go and find your neighbor. Go and tell your neighbor. And then bring your neighbor to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, it is a very simple message. I have learned that making it complicated is my doing. And it really is as simple as you illustrated for us in the life of Andrew. Father, I pray for Rocky Point Baptist Church, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, men and women, families, singles that have loved us well. I, my prayer for them in this context in Stephenville, Texas, is they, that they would be found faithful in 
simply going and finding, going and telling. We, we don't need another book or another podcast or another video. We need to go and find, go and tell, and bring our neighbor. This is where we will be found laying down our life for our neighbor. This is where we will be found loving our neighbor, making proclamation of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, would you, would you do that? Would you use your simple message this morning to make us look more like your son Jesus? Father, the same is true for my brother Scott. Faithful man, no doubt, but in need of Christ. And as an elder in this church, may he be found faithful, going and finding, going and telling, opening the word, rightly dividing the word of truth, studying to show himself approved, a workman not ashamed, doing the work of an evangelist, showing hospitality, being generous, all of those things laid out. May he be found faithful in those finding and telling and bringing. May that be true here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.